Let's now open our, our Bibles to the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, the passage where Isaiah teaches us and writes about the suffering servant who will come to give his life before the sins of his people. We know, of course, that this is fulfilled in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we begin reading God's Word in verse 1, chapter 53 of Isaiah. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he opened so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you, made his, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So far, reading from God's holy word. Let us now turn to God's holy word. Let us turn to John chapter 12. Well, our text will be the verses 12 through 33, so let's read together John 12, verse 20 through 33, and then we'll also continue to read a, a few verses uh, beyond that in order to place this text within the context. So John chapter 12, beginning at verse 20. 
So just before we start the reading, we have to keep in mind that uh, the passage before this, the Lord Jesus has, um, came into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and the people uh, were rejoicing at his coming, and they wanted to make him the king of Israel. And then during that week, sometime during that, that week before the death of our Lord Jesus, we're told about what happens here with a number of Greeks who want to speak with the Lord Jesus. Verse 20, then we read God's word. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Oh, father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. So far, our text, and we'll continue reading a little further. The people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, a little, la a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and, de and departed and was hidden from them. So far, our reading. Brothers, sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, on Good Friday, we remember together with God's people throughout the world that our Lord Jesus was crucified, nailed to the cross on Golgotha some 2,000 years ago. But when you think of that image of the cross, you say that image is not very inspiring. You know, for the Jew, when a person was hung on the cross, immediately they, they thought that such a person was cursed by God. It was the worst kind of punishment that a, any Jew could face. Not just because of the pain uh, that would accompany it, but because of the public humiliation that came with it. Such a person was rejected and cursed by God, and his reputation in Israel was completely ruined and destroyed. 
On the other hand, you think of the Gentile world, the Greeks, in their, in their culture, when a person was hung on a cross, uh, immediately they thought about that person as being a criminal and therefore was completely rejected by society. When someone was, was nailed to a cross, it led to that person's deep humiliation. It was a punishment that was reserved only for the worst offenders in society. Well, this evening, we're going to look at an event in the life of the Lord Jesus that took place shortly before the Lord Jesus is crucified. John has just finished writing about the events that happened on Palm Sunday. Right now, Sunday, the people of Jerusalem, they welcomed the Lord to Jesus as the great king of Israel. They were ready to, to crown him as, as their king. They were ready to follow him wherever he would lead them. They saw that he was indeed their savior. He would restore the glory of Israel. But Jesus, Jesus sees the world differently. Yes, he, he came to Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He came riding into Jerusalem as the king of Israel. When he came into Jerusalem, he came in the name of the Lord to be the Messiah, king of the Jews. Jesus, indeed, when he rode into Jerusalem, he was entering into his glory. But there's a disconnect. A disconnect between the vision of Jesus and the vision of the people there in Jerusalem. Jesus has come to enter into his glory, yes, indeed. But he also makes it very clear that the way into glory is through the cross. Jesus will enter into his glory through his suffering and by his death on the cross. That's why the story of Good Friday doesn't make a lot of sense to many people today. Paul himself said long ago in 1 Corinthians 1.23 that Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews. It is foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who believe, Christ is the power of God and he's the wisdom of God. And so, beloved, there is only one way for Christ to be glorified, and that is to go and walk in the way of the cross. And so this evening we'll listen to God's word under this theme. The cross leads to the Son of Man being glorified. The cross leads to the Son of Man being glorified. Under that theme, we'll look at four things. I know you don't have a liturgy, so you probably won't remember it, but I'll just very quickly mention it. The first thing, we'll talk about the relationship between his death and glory. And secondly, the relationship between his death and suffering. Thirdly, his death and the benefits that come from it. And in the fourth place, we'll look at the lesson that he teaches us concerning his death. After the events on Palm Sunday, some Greeks among the Jews went up to, uh, there were some Greeks among the Jews who had gone up to Jerusalem in order that they might worship God at the festival, which was the Passover. These are Gentile believers who have come to faith in the God of Israel and who want to worship God and have come to Jerusalem for that very purpose. They want to celebrate this feast of Passover. Now, some of these Greeks, 
John tells us, uh, came to Philip with a request. Philip was one of the disciples. Philip is the only disciple that has a Greek name, and therefore it is thought that they, the Greeks came to him they felt some kind of a connection with him. And the request that they have for Philip is, we want to see the Lord Jesus. So you know that the disciples were really the ones who determined whether, one, whether people could indeed see the Lord Jesus or not. And so Philip doesn't know what to do. He goes to his fellow disciple, Andrew, and together they decide that they will go and tell the Lord Jesus about this request. Now there's something very odd about this story. Perhaps you already noticed that when you read through the story, is there's a request that the Greeks want to be have a hearing with the Lord Jesus, but yet when you read the story, you never ever hear about whether the Lord Jesus indeed agrees to that request or not. We don't know whether Jesus ever spoke with these Greeks believers or not. If we were writing the story today, we would want to tell the reader about what had happened. But John leaves us hanging which is a clear indication that it's not really that important for us to know whether Jesus really talked to them or not. There's something more deeper, something else that, is, that John is trying to convey to us. And so John, therefore, only tells us about Jesus' reaction to this request, not whether he meets with, him, with them or not. And what you notice is this, is that when this request comes, it triggers something in the mind of the Lord Jesus, and it triggers what he says. And so we need to try to understand what is the connection now between the request of these Greek believers and what the Lord Jesus says in response to that request. Right? Jesus' response to Philip and Andrew is this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You kind of wonder, what's the Lord Jesus saying here? What does him being glorified have to do anything about seeing the Greeks? Well, there is indeed something that we need to discover as to why this triggers this reaction of the Lord Jesus. And it will begin to make sense. When you begin to understand the Old Testament background to this story, we need to make a couple of connections to the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10 here, the prophet speaks about the shoot that will come up from the stump of Jesse. So remember, Jesse uh, is the family of David, is the father of David, and then we know that the family of, of David was, was chopped down, so to speak, in Israel. They were no longer kings. There's just a stump that was left, and so the promise here in Isaiah is that a green little shoot will again arise from that stump that is left. And we know that this stump is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so verse 10 of Isaiah 11 Isaiah says this, he says, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. You see, the peoples, that is the Gentiles, or the Greeks who come to Jesus, Jesus, uh, Isaiah says that these Greeks, these Gentiles, that they will rally to him and it will lead to his glory. And so the request of these Greeks reminds the Lord Jesus about what Isaiah says is going to happen. 
God is going to full, God's word is going to be fulfilled also now here in the life of the Lord Jesus. The Greeks have come. They have now rallied to him and they request to see him. And it is a clear sign to the Lord Jesus that he is now about to enter into his glory. But the Greeks and the peoples of the world, they are now coming into him. After Jesus says that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, he says something that at first seems also to be puzzling in verse 24. Notice what he says there. He says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Again, we I think we all kind of be a little puzzled here about how does this request from the Jews, how is that connected now to a kernel of wheat that falls to the ground? Well, before we make that connection, let's first of all try to understand what Jesus is really teaching us, and then we can make that connection to the request of the Greeks. Remember the Lord Jesus is, is talking here about the reason why he needs to die in order that he might enter into his glory. He cannot enter into glory, he doesn't die. And so, in order to explain that and to prove it, he now uses an example from nature. And so, children, you probably have done an experiment at home or at school, right, where you've taken a little seed and you put it maybe in a, in, in a glass with some paper towels and some water, or perhaps you put the seed in a cup with soil and you put the seed in the soil and you, and you water it. And Jesus here talks about the seed as being a kernel of wheat. And you know what happens when you take that little seed and then you, and you just play, play, put it on the counter in your kitchen? When you just lay it on the counter, nothing's going to happen to the seed, right? It still remains a single seed. It just lies there um, very quickly. You'll forget about it. It doesn't have any glory. Um, someday your mom comes along and she cleans up the counter and she wipes up the seed too. And, and nobody notices. You don't notice. It's completely forgotten. But if you take that little seed and you plant it in some soil and you water it, then what happens to the seed? Well, the first thing that happens is it begins to, to die. The seed begins to, to decay, it falls apart. And as that seed dies, something miraculous happens. It starts to come back to life. Right? You see a little green sprout coming up out of that little seed. And then it begins to grow, and it gets bigger, and it matures. And finally, if you let it grow to the time that it is ready to be harvested, it has many, many seeds. And so Jesus says from that one seed, you now get many seeds when you put it in the ground and you let it die. And so there is no glory for that seed if it just stays all alone there on the counter of your kitchen. But when it is planted and it dies and it produces many new seeds... Then, if, then you see the glory of that seed. And so, Jesus, and so the Lord Jesus uses this example from nature to show us that indeed he needs to die so that through his death he can produce many seeds. See, there is no glory for the Lord Jesus to still to remain alive. There is no lasting glory for the Lord Jesus to become an earthly king here in, in Jerusalem 
After all, what's going to happen if he becomes king in Jerusalem? Uh, he might be able to do some great things with the people, but all the people, eventually, they'll all die. There's nothing glorious about that. And so for Jesus to experience eternal glory, he must die so that he can produce many seeds. And now we can come back again and we can make that connection to the request from the, these Greek believers. See, the Lord Jesus did not come to become the king of the Jews. But as the son of man, he must become the ruler over all the nations of the world. As Isaiah said, the nations will rally to him. In Isaiah 53, which we read together, verse 3, Isaiah writes about the Messiah as the one who will come in great suffering. He will suffer, Isaiah says, and he will die. Why? For the iniquities, that is, for the sins of his people. He writes in verse 10, he says, that it is the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring. Literally, he will see his seeds that make him prosper in the land. You see, through his suffering, through his death, Jesus will now reap a great harvest. He will produce many seeds or offspring. He is the source of a new people who will follow him. And therefore, when the, when the Greeks come and they ask that they might talk with the Lord Jesus, the important thing isn't whether Jesus talks with them or not for us. The important thing here is that this reminds us that through his death on the cross, the Greeks and the Gentiles, they will come to him as their Lord and as their Savior. Jesus is, is reminded that through his death, a great harvest is coming. Many seeds will indeed arise out of his death on, there on the cross. And so as nature teaches us that a seed must die to produce many seeds, so Christ says, so I must die so that I may produce many spiritual offspring. And that that offspring may arise from all the nations of the earth. Now, of course, his death is going to cause great suffering for the Lord Jesus. Right? Death is never pleasant. Think here also of the grief and the weeping of Mary and Martha at the death of their brother Lazarus. Even the weeping of the Lord Jesus at the death of his friend. But we also need to understand, beloved, though, is that for the Lord Jesus, his suffering was infinitely greater than what he or Mary and Martha felt at the death of Lazarus. Jesus expresses something of that suffering that he was experiencing in verse 27 of our text. He says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Notice those words, which is happening here is Jesus is speaking about the bitter anguish there of his soul. Later in verse 32, Jesus speaks about being lifted up from the earth. And then John continues on in verse 31, and he says, and this is to show the kind of death that he was going to die. For that expression, to be lifted up, for the Jews, uh, was something that... In their minds, immediately, they would be thinking about being lifted up on the tree or being lifted up on the cross. And so here, just a, a few days before Good Friday, Jesus already talks, John says, about what kind of death that he will die. He will be lifted up. For the Jews, 
immediately they understood what he says, that he'd be hung on a tree on a cross. And that also explains, beloved, why Jesus then says, my soul is troubled. To be lifted up on the cross is a sign that he is completely abandoned and rejected by both heaven and earth. Right? It is his own people, the Jews, who cry out to crucify him. His own people, they, they have judged him to be an outcast worthy of the sentence of the worst criminal in the whole world. That was bad enough. But even more difficult for the Lord Jesus is that it is a sign that he's been rejected by his own Father there in heaven. That's why he cries out on Good Friday from the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, beloved, the Lord Jesus endured hell there on the cross. Hell, because there he was completely abandoned by his Father in heaven. And the reason that he's abandoned is because he was carrying the burden of our sin. He endured the wrath and the curse of God because of our iniquities. We would never be, be able to endure that wrath of God that Christ endured for us. And so when we think that through, then perhaps we can begin to understand or comprehend a little bit as to why Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. Right? He expresses something of, of the deep anguish that he feels there in his heart. Good Friday is a very difficult day for the Lord Jesus. He's not looking forward to the suffering and to his death. You hear that when he says, what shall I say? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. There's some discussion whether this is a question or a statement. Either way, it doesn't really matter. Jesus expresses how difficult the next few days are going to be for him. But although he, he asks about this, whether he should be saved from this hour or not, yet he goes on and he says this. He says, no, it is for this very reason that I came to this hour. You see, beloved, it was not, was not easy for the Lord Jesus. We shouldn't think, oh, it was, just, no, it was just a piece of cake. It was no problem for the Lord Jesus to do that. After all, he's the Son of God, right? No, for the Lord Jesus, this, this was a great commitment in which he was offering everything. He's offering his very life. He's offering his very being for us. And yet he expresses his wonderful commitment by saying, no, but this is the very reason why I came. He's expressing his deep commitment he wants to give his life for you, for me, and for all his people. His encouragement, he says in verse 32, is that when he is lifted up on the cross, Jesus says, then I will draw many people to myself, both Jews as well as the Greeks, the Gentiles. Also those Greeks that have come now to speak with him. Jesus makes it very clear, beloved, he will not abandon his mission because of the suffering and the death that he will have to face. He knows that this is the means by which he and the Father will be glorified. And so he says in verse 28, he says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice comes from heaven and says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. You see, Jesus is assured by the Father that the path of suffering will indeed, it will lead to his glory. 
His death will lead to great benefits for his people as he will draw many into himself and to their salvation. Well, John tells us that the crowd that was with Jesus heard his voice from heaven. Some said that it had thundered. Others said, no, it was an angel who spoke to him. And then the Lord Jesus says to them about this, he says, no, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. And so the people, they, they, they heard the sound, but it appears that they did not understand what the voice actually said. Only Jesus heard and understood what was said. And so what was happening here is indeed that the Father was giving the Lord Jesus the encouragement that he needs as he's now facing his great time of suffering. But the Lord Jesus himself is not really focused on himself. He's not self-centered in which he becomes narcissistic in the sense that he is only thinking about his own hardships and his own troubles and he's thinking about woe be to me. That's not the attitude of the Lord Jesus. He's not thinking about his own needs or about his, his own security. You know, he's thinking uh, about his people. That's where his, his mind is. He's, it's on us. And, and therefore he insists that this voice from heaven came so that the people may know that the Father in heaven will glorify his Son through the suffering. Jesus says it was for your benefit. They needed to know that the death of Jesus on the cross will lead to his glory and it will lead to their salvation. And shortly, a matter of days, perhaps hours, they will see Jesus Christ indeed humbled on the cross. And they must see then in the cross the way of salvation and the way of glory. Because the way of the cross will lead to the great victory of the Lord Jesus over sin, over the devil and over death. Notice how Jesus expresses that in verse 31. He says this, he says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. So here we we might reflect for a moment on why do we speak and why do we talk about Good Friday? What's so good about Jesus dying on the cross? Does it not reveal his complete and and utter failure? I mean, that's, most people would conclude that. That's also what so many people even uh, think today. But there are many, many also who call themselves Christians who try to put a good spin on what happened to the Lord Jesus on the cross, and they say, you know what, Jesus was a good man, and, and and he died for a good cause. He gives us this great example, and so we should be willing to also make sacrifices for the good, and we need to make sacrifices for just causes. My beloved, if that is indeed the gospel message, then woe to us. Because if the only thing that we're living for is that we might take the example of the Lord Jesus to to be good people and to uh, be willing to make sacrifices for good causes, then there's not much hope. And there's not much reason for our life here on this earth. There's still many today who simply think that when I leave and I make the world a little better, better place than when I came into it, now I have achieved some great success. Well, that's not success. Because we haven't achieved anything. Now Jesus says, my suffering and my death on the cross will lead to a great victory. Victory. Now is the time for judgment on this world. 
See, there on Golgotha, on the cross, there you find the defining moment for all of humanity. Because here the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he engages in this great spiritual battle. Because here on the cross, beloved, here the battle for the souls of mankind will either be lost or it will be won. There at the cross, the people of the world are unified in their glee that the Lord Jesus has been put to death on the cross. Right in their minds, they think, now we have won the victory. We got rid of this troublemaker in the world. Yes, the people are united. The Jews are united under the Jewish leadership, and the Greeks and the Gentiles are united under the Roman leadership of Pontius Pilate. And together what they have done is they have put the Savior to death. And then they dance with jubilation at the appearance of their victory. Right? The people of the world, they are alienated from God. And what are they doing? They are now serving the prince of this world. They are serving Satan as their master. And beloved, nothing has really changed even today. And we see where the world is going. We see also the agenda all around us. And we see the evil and the corruption that is being promoted in our society today. You realize people are alienated from God as they have made Satan, the prince of this world, their master. But what we need to understand this evening, and what people of the world do not understand, and what they do not realize, is that by this very action of crucifying the Lord Jesus on the cross, the people of the world have condemned themselves. By crucifying the Savior, they have now brought the terrible judgment of God upon them. For Christ came and now he on the cross, he has won the victory through his death. By his death, he has paid for the sins of his people. And here he destroyed the very power of Satan. That's why Jesus says he's here, he says the prince of this world, referring to Satan, will be driven out. Remember earlier the Lord Jesus told his disciples at a, at a certain point after they came back from the, their, their mission, when he sent them out two by two, at a certain point he said to them, and he came back, he said to them, he says, I saw Satan fallen from heaven. What Jesus was seeing was this, that his work here on this earth and his work on the cross conquers sin and evil and it destroys the power of the evil one. Satan, beloved, no longer has power over all those who are now redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. The great benefit of Christ's death is our salvation. He has now freed us from the powers of the evil one so that in Christ we are more than conquerors. Right? We're not just here on this earth so that we might learn from Christ to become little, little better people, trying to make the world a little better place when we leave it. Oh, beloved, in Christ we have now conquered sin and evil. In Christ we have conquered death and we have the hope of eternal life. And in the end, the Lord Jesus Christ also teaches us an important lesson in verse 25. He says, anyone who loves his life will lose it. But anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See, Christ's death teaches us an important lesson for us to, to keep to heart. The question, Lord Jesus, or what the Lord Jesus really does is he forces us to ask ourselves, what is the focus in, in my life? 
Because he says this, he says that those who love their lives will lose it. And Jesus means by, by loving your life is that you are making your life here on this earth your focus. And I think that's some part of also the issue that we've often been de- dealing with also with COVID over the last couple of years and the things we've experienced. The focus in our society today is to protect human life at all costs. Sometimes at the cost of, mental, of the mental well-being of people, the cost of economic well-being. Loving your life means that this life is more important than anything else. Now, I'm not suggesting here, beloved, that, that we should not protect life and that we shouldn't take proper precautions. I think there's also something that Christians is prudent and we're called to be prudent by God. But being prudent is different than thinking that somehow that my life is everything and anything and there is the most important thing in my life. Now as Christians, we believe that our physical life is indeed a blessing from God. And that we may and we should also enjoy this life that God gives to us here on this earth. Jesus is not saying somehow that, that you, shouldn't, uh, you not, shouldn't have any joy in this, in this life and you shouldn't enjoy the material things of this life. But the point that Jesus makes is that this life is not everything. You see, that's the problem with the Jews in his day. They want the Lord Jesus uh, to be their king in Jerusalem. Why? Because they wanted the Lord Jesus to, rise, uh, to raise up an army in Israel uh, so powerful that it would be able to defeat the Roman enemy and he, Jesus would then also then restore the glory of, of Israel's kingdom. And so they would be able to enjoy a new a glorious kingdom here on this earth. But the reality is that such a vision of life is, in the end, will be meaningless. Because maybe the kingdom of Israel might be restored to its former glory, but everyone there in the city, they will all die one day. And so we can try so hard and so desperately to hold on to this earthly life. But beloved, in the end, we will all lose it. Christ understands that. And therefore, he is willing to die on the cross. Because it is through his death that he will lead us to something greater and much more glorious. His death will lead to the victory over our death. It will lead to the glorious hope of eternal life for all of his people. And so Jesus then concludes, he says, and anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, hate here does not mean that we don't like our earthly physical life. Understand, hate it needs to be understood in opposition to loving our life. And so as Christians, we, we may say, uh, and we should say also, that we hate our sinful life. Because in our sinful way of life, what we do, we, we hurt God, we grieve God. We not only hurt and grieve God, we also hurt and grieve our neighbors so often as well. And so we want to lose uh, this, this life of sin and this life of evil. In that sense, we can, say, we can, talk about speak, we can speak about hating our life. But the point that Jesus is making is that those who hate their life are those who do not cling to this life, as if it is everything for us. 
As Christians who know Jesus as the one who has died for us on the cross, this life, we know this life is short. We know that it is fleeting. And therefore, we also know this is not the life to which I need to cling and I want to cling. Not the life that I need to fight for at all costs. Pity those who who live their life that way. For all they can live for is today. All that they can hope for is the joys and the comforts of this life. But yet in the end, they will lose it all. But beloved, those who look to the Lord Jesus as the crucified Lord are people who do not cling to this life in that way. Oh, we are longing for something greater and something better. We long for that eternal life that the Lord Jesus Christ has earned for us there on the cross. If Christ has overcome death for us on the cross, then we do not need to cling to this life any longer. Because we know, beloved, we know with our whole heart, we believe it, that the day is coming when the Lord Jesus, as the Son of Man, will again return in glory. When He comes in glory, then we'll also join Him in eternal glory. And so Good Friday is indeed Good Friday, where Jesus Christ came, and over, when He came, He overcame death. And He now gives to us the glorious hope of being able to share in His eternal glory when He comes back. Amen.